This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Welcome to RMA's podcast series. I'm Linda Tuck-Chapman, president of Ontela Performance Solutions, I'm a former banker, I'm a management consultant, I'm an author and educator, and RMA's subject matter expert for third-party risk management. This podcast is about in the third-party innovation risk, or solving what I call the innovation conundrum. It's an excerpt from a soon-to-be-released second edition of my book, Third-Party Risk Management, Driving Enterprise Value, published by RMA and available on Amazon. I want to acknowledge the contributions of John Sobing, CPO and Head of Third-Party Risk Management at TD Ameritrade, and Matt Buskert, VP and Director of Vendor Risk Management at Fifth Third Bank for their contributions in helping to solve this innovation conundrum. So let's get started. Companies must innovate or die. While this has always been true, more often than not, innovation involves third parties. Innovation, particularly innovation brought to your firm by third parties, is increasingly the best way to acquire market share, new finding new or retaining existing sources of revenues, or helping to drive down operating costs. And don't assume that innovation is always driven by startups or small companies. Existing third-party relationships may be fertile ground for innovation, providing the third party is given the opportunity and their needs are respected. And I'd say this because many companies treat innovation, process improvement, and automation as interchangeable terms. But are these process improvements and automations examples of innovation, or are they actually something else? This definition from the Business Dictionary may influence your thinking about what innovation is and what it is not. So they say that innovation is a process of translating an idea or an invention into a good or service that creates value, or for which customers will pay. To be called innovation, an idea must be replicable at an economical cost and must satisfy a specific need. To embrace true innovation, some institutions have a discrete innovation investment budget and others have established an innovation center of excellence. For example, Deutsche Bank has three innovation labs and at the far end of the spectrum is Bank OZK, who acquired an innovation lab when they acquired a small bank and it's very, very active today. Innovation and third parties invariably bring risk. And to complicate matters, some of these risks are new and they'll take some time and expertise to address and others will slip into your company virtually unnoticed. But a recurring complaint from business and IT leaders is that they can't move forward in a timely matter because they can't satisfy the requirements embedded in the company's third-party risk management program. And in fact, I know from uh, speaking with people at the RMA third-party risk management roundtable, It can take sometimes, you know, three months, I've heard as long as 100 days to get through the program. So this is a problem for the business, obviously. So this is overall what I like to call the innovation conundrum. It's how to satisfy or reconcile this need for speed and the need to control risk. And driving innovation does not relieve the business or the third-party risk management professionals of their responsibilities. But let's assume that innovation relationships, if they are true innovation, are different. It's very helpful if you can acknowledge this because it can set you on a path to deliberately modify your organization's third-party risk management practices while ensuring they are still fit for the intended purpose. 
Now, you also may assume that third parties routinely identify their inherent risk, conduct through uh, thorough testing, and implement strong controls, then communicate residual risk and required user controls to their customers. But this confidence may be misplaced. Think about Boeing's 737s and the FAA's role in that. A proven best practice is to design and implement a tightly controlled proof-of-concept process in a secure DMZ, which is an environment that's isolated from your protection environment. This is really what we concluded in the work that we did together, uh, myself and the other uh, and heads of third-party risk management, who are living and breathing this every day. So what is a POC? A POC is a form of research for exploring the design, functionality, technical requirements, and architecture before making the final uh, final decision to proceed with the solution or the technology and to implement it in your production environment. So the purpose of this is just to prove the concept and make sure that it's viable and can be reasonably expected to fulfill, fulfill the intended purpose once fully implemented. So please don't confuse this with a pilot. I do hear these words run about interchangeably. A pilot actually is just a a test just before uh, you're deploying the solution. It's usually a final test with the subset of your intended users. So this is quite different. A pilot is executed in a secure environment like a DMZ, and it's really quite, quite seriously a test. So if you're going to implement a POC uh, process, you'll need to decide, design a standard set of controls for your innovation lab, but there's no need to have just one set of them. I mean, it's certainly risk-adjusting things, and going away from a one-size-fits-all is the best way to go. So the best approach is to ring-fence the POC risk characteristics and controls, and then align them with their standard uh, in third-party inherent risk ratings. So let me give you an example. If your third-party risk rating scale consists of four levels, low, moderate, high, and very high, characteristics and mandatory controls can be established for each of these uh, tiers and published as a table for internal use. The controls bring consistency and set some guardrails for the process and make it a lot easier for everyone to engage. So once you've gone through a POC and determined that the third-party solution will function as expected and satisfied your defined success criteria, you can apply your standard third-party risk management processes, including due diligence and evaluation. And ideally, this work can be completed in parallel with the POC when it's starting to become apparent that you're going to move forward. So I have a lot more information on this in the new chapter of the book, which will be published uh, probably in early next year. Um, not just about the POC, but some examples of the controls against different levels. So I want to step back and say that if you do acknowledge your your relationships with third-party innovators may be very different than those with your steady-state third parties, it's a great first step towards developing a more agile process, strengthening your your governance and oversight, and enabling sound analysis of your return on investment. Thanks for listening. This is Linda Tuck Chapman. You can contact me at lindatuckchapman.com at ontella.com or 416-452-4635. If you'd like more information about designing or implementing or even strengthening the effectiveness of your existing program. Thank you for listening to our podcasts. Whether you're a regular listener or a first-time listener, if you enjoy our podcasts, please provide a favorable rating on iTunes. Thank you.